Thank you all very much. I'll tell you what, isn't it great to have Levites leading us into battle? Could we give them another round of applause? That was awesome. Thank you so much. God bless you. Well, thank you, Jimmy. What an awesome introduction. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. If you have your iPad handy, I'd like for you to open it. If you happen to have a Bible, it'd be great for you to open that too. Um, I want you to turn uh, to Acts chapter 2. Um, what we're talking about today, we have uh, an unusual convergence. Uh, Scott mentioned that everybody's going back to school. And uh, what I'd like to talk about today is the first day of discipleship. The first day of discipleship. Now, I'm going to give you a hint, okay? Every day is the first day of discipleship. Because if you were a disciple yesterday, yesterday's discipleship doesn't make any difference today. And you can't be a disciple tomorrow, today. So there's only really one day of discipleship, and that's the first day of discipleship. That's today. But if Pentecost is the day when the church was born, then the first day of discipleship is recorded in Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to ask you to bear with me. I'm going to read this whole chapter, okay? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed like tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them. They said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews... And all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. 
It's only nine in the morning. No, this, this is that. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show signs on the earth and wonders in the heavens above, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you with miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among him, uh, did, did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to hold him. David said this about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead and you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him an oath that, his, that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life. And we are witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? What should we do? Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation 
of our hearts together that they'd be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Uh, La Mensana is a professor of world Christian missions at Yale University. He's a convert from Islam to Christianity. And in his writings, he makes a very interesting observation. He says that the biggest difference between Islam and Christianity is not Christmas. It's not that God came in the flesh. He says that the biggest difference between Islam and Christianity is not Easter, that, that Jesus was, was raised from the dead. He says the biggest difference between Islam and Christianity is Pentecost. And the reason is that all culture is made relative on the day of Pentecost. Until the day of Pentecost, the only language that was a sacred language was Hebrew. The only culture that was worthy of bearing the message of salvation was Jewish culture. And on the day of Pentecost, when each one heard them declaring the wonders of God in their own language, all cultures became relative. The Spirit was poured out on all flesh. There were people from every nation under heaven gathered in Jerusalem. In fact, Luke goes to the point of identifying 12 or 13 or 14 different specific ethnic groups, and all of those different cultures were identified as worthy, worthy channels through which the wonders of God could be communicated. So on this first day of discipleship, what we see is this whole process is dependent on our submission to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. You cannot be a disciple on your own. This is not a self-help process. It's a process where we come together and we recognize our weakness so that he can be made strong. Now, I have a couple of suggestions for you. How many students do we have in the room? How many people are starting a new school year in the week ahead or, ha or started a new school year last week? How many teachers do we have in the room? Awesome, awesome. I have a suggestion. I'd like to suggest that if you know a student, that you do something as a result of this first day mentality. What I'd like to do is I'd like to suggest that you write a short letter, a three-paragraph letter, to the student or to the teacher that you know. And this is what I want the letter to say. I want you to tell that person in the first paragraph what a blessing they are to you. In the second paragraph, 
I want you to reflect on them, some special moments that you've had together. And in the third paragraph, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you a word for that person for the year ahead. Okay? I want to give you an example of what I did this week. I have a student who is starting at ORU this fall. His name is Daniel. And this is the letter that I wrote to Daniel just the other day. I've done this for several years. You're going to have to bear with me for just a second here. I've done this for several years, and um, uh, thank God I don't have as many students as I used to. Some of you are asking about our family. Uh, Julianne has graduated from nursing school. Uh, she works in the congestive heart failure clinic at Hillcrest Hospital. She got married uh, on July 27th. Hallelujah. It was an awesome experience. Uh, Bethany is, is an incoming student in the graduate program at TU, and um, she's going to be working on an MBA in the fall. And uh, Daniel is a junior at ORU in mechanical engineering. So we are so thrilled uh, that he's doing well. And um, I want to offer... I'm going to track this down. I'm sorry I'm having a little trouble here. Give me just a second. Well, you have to forgive me. I got lost in my, uh, in my inbox. But anyway, I'll tell you what the letter said. Basically, what I said was, uh, I want to thank God for the way he's using you and for the important things that you're going to learn in the year ahead. I talked about the fact that this summer was an incredible blessing. The coolest thing happened, Dave. On Daniel's birthday, I took my family water skiing on Sky Took Lake. I rented a boat, and I said to Daniel, have you ever slalom water skied? And he said, no. I said, well, today's the day that you're going to slalom water ski. And lo and behold, on his birthday, he slalom water skied on Lake Skyatook. And then, as the scripture that I gave for him, I went to the book of Daniel, and I looked at chapter 2, and I quoted a, a, a passage of Scripture from Daniel chapter 2 for the benefit and for the blessing of him feeling shored up as he goes into this year. I can't tell you the difference that this will make in the hearts and lives of the people that you'll know. If you'll just take a minute and ask the Lord to use you to impart a word of encouragement and a word of blessing into the lives of the students that are in your life. I hope that you'll uh, take the time to do that. Faith uh, starts tomorrow at Union. 
Uh, she's still teaching English as a second language to sixth graders. And I can't think of anything more that, that I would want than to have my sixth grader walking into a room where the teacher felt lifted up, prayed for, encouraged, and strengthened. Uh, when we moved to Tulsa in 2004, uh, and as we anticipated the first day of school, there's always a little apprehension that surrounds this. I took Daniel down to the 6th and 7th grade center as he was entering into the 6th grade there, and we walked around that building seven times. And we prayed for every student, for every teacher, for every administrator. We prayed for every class. We asked God to impart into that building uh, that, that it would fulfill the purpose that it was intended for, that, that the that, that young people's hearts and minds would be shaped and molded, that be, they'd be prepared for their future and for their destiny. And as we prayed for every teacher, we had no idea that the next year, faith would be teaching very building. Um, so I would encourage you to offer a word of prayer and an, offer a word of encouragement um, for the students whose first day of discipleship is tomorrow. Now, I so appreciate the things that Jimmy shared. I have to tell you a Jimmy Buskirk story, okay, since he's here. Can I, can I have the freedom to do that? Jimmy mentioned that he was my dean at ORU, and... Um, uh, I had been the minister of missions at ORU, and I decided that, um, uh, that I, I needed to focus on finishing seminary, and so I resigned my position at ORU, and I was very uncertain about my future, where I should go, what I should do. And so I called down to uh, his office, and uh, Margie Shields was uh, gracious enough, Margie McAdoo was gracious enough to... Uh, to set an appointment with me, and I went down, and uh, I had about a half an hour to meet with Dr. Buskirk, and I explained to him, Faith and I were, were newlyweds. We'd been married for six months, and um, my future was, was uncertain. I, we, we felt called to go to the mission field, but I needed to finish my seminary degree, and, and uh, we wanted to get some experience. And in this meeting with Dr. Buskirk, Jimmy's the only one that I've ever known that things happen like this. About five minutes into this meeting, he got this far-off look in his eye. And, and he, he started to speak in possessive plural pronouns, like we and us. And the meeting was up, and I walked out the door, and I was... I was kind of confused about what happened. And I, I went home and I said, Honey, you know, I think he offered me a job. And she said, Steve, you're unemployed. How could you not know if he, you know, you're looking for a job. How could you not know if he offered you a job or not? And I said, Well, you know, the ne next week he wants us to come back and, uh, and visit. And so we'll find out next week. And so sure enough, we went back. And the rest is history, so to speak. But uh, I am so thankful uh, to Dr. Buskirk and to Nancy for the influence that they've had in helping me understand 
what it means to walk in the Spirit day by day. Yesterday's discipleship is history. Tomorrow's discipleship isn't here yet. Today is the first day of discipleship. Now, you all know all about this. You know about this. Um, I remember being in this church, meeting in the old building, when, as we looked toward Labor Day in 2005, we could tell a terrible, terrible storm come up the Florida coast and bear down on the city of New Orleans. And we watched in horror as Katrina devastated the entire city of New Orleans. We were so brokenhearted by what we saw on TV that we had to do something. We had to do something. And so a group of us gathered in the hallway and we asked each other, brothers and sisters, what should we do? Just like they did on the day of Pentecost. And just like on the day of Pentecost, we said to each other, this is that. This is that. If we trust God, He'll fill us with His Spirit and He'll enable us to do things and see things that we could never imagine. And I was commissioned to try to help figure out what that would be. And I went home and I got on the computer and I called the American Red Cross and they said, we don't help with relocations. You know, we help with emergency relief. And so I called the Salvation Army and the Salvation Army said, we don't help with relocations. We help with relief. And so I didn't know what to do. And I said, okay, Lord, I've called the two biggest uh, agencies that I know of. What are we supposed to do? And I got on the internet and I was looking around and I was led to the most liberal website on the internet, moveon.org. And I put a little post on that website, moveon.org. Tulsa Church, willing to help family displaced by Katrina, relocate to Tulsa. And I put an email response. And within four hours, I got an email, and the tag on the email, the, the, the name on the email address was Heaven Picked Me at gmail.com. That email was from Robin Grigsby. And that led to a phone call, and we didn't know them, and they didn't know us. But they had been thinking about coming to Tulsa. Ekim wanted to go to Bible school. And after we talked on the phone, uh, I felt impressed to tell the Grigsby family, we think heaven picked us too. And that family moved here and spent two years here. They got free tuition to go to Ramah and spent that time as part of the life of our congregation 
it, it was one of the most incredible experiences. Um, Bishop, their son, shares my birthday. Bishop Grigsby's birthday is August 5th. And when they graduated from Rama Bible Training Center, the graduation ceremony was in the convention center downtown. I was the babysitter for the three small kids. We, you know that, you know that uh, connecting thing between the Doubletree downtown and the convention center? I ran those kids back and forth across that bridge more times during that graduation service than you could imagine. But here's the thing. We put ourselves in a position where we were vulnerable and where we said, Lord, what should we do? And the answer was, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Now, um, Jimmy mentioned that I serve as executive director of Oklahoma Methodist Manor. Um, we serve uh, over 300 seniors with nursing home care, assisted living care, and independent living. And every single day, it's an amazing privilege for me to go to work. I work with some of the most devoted and compassionate caregivers um, that you could imagine. I want to tell you two quick stories about what daily discipleship is for me in that environment. One day I went to work, and there was a note that had been slipped under my door. And it wasn't addressed to me, it was addressed to a housekeeper. And it was expressing appreciation to the housekeeper for the care that they had provided to uh, someone who, who had passed away who lived in our health center. So I got the name of the author, and I called this lady on the phone, and I said, I, I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to express appreciation to Date. It, it's very gracious of you to do this. And the woman said, that's not the only letter that I wrote. I said, really, how many letters did you write? And she said, there were six of them. I said, really, tell me about the other letters. She said, well, one of them went to the nurse that cared for my mom. She said, you see, my mom died on Christmas morning. I got a call from the nurse telling me that she was having difficulty breathing, and because of the day that it was and the family activity, it took me a while to get a shower and get over there, and by the time I got there to see my mom, she had already passed away. I was so grief-stricken. But when I walked into my mother's room, on her nightstand was her Bible. And I realized that that nurse was doing the very thing that I would have been doing if I had been there. And I can't tell you what a comfort that was to me. I said, thank you very much. And I said, I asked her, what were you reading to that woman when she passed away? 
And she said, oh, very matter-of-factly, she said, oh, I was reading the 23rd Psalm. I said, really? Who taught you to read the 23rd Psalm to people who are... She said, oh, I was reading the 23rd Psalm. I said, really? Who taught you to read the 23rd Psalm to people who are dying? And she said, well, there's another nurse here who told me that it's been her experience that people who are having a struggle in those last moments of life are comforted when they hear those words. And it makes, them, it, makes it easier for them to pass on. And so that's what I did. And I said, thank you very much. You have no idea how much it means to me that you make a difference at such a critical time for the people who live here. Just a couple of weeks ago, as I was walking, as I was walking uh, from the parking lot to my car, I, um, I asked the Lord, what does today's day of discipleship look like for me? Help me to be a man who walks in the Spirit. Lead me, Lord, throughout this day. And I didn't stop at my office for some reason. I don't know why. I walked into the health center, and as I walked through the households where our, our, our most frail, uh, the most frail members of our community live, uh, are, are receiving care, um, I was led to this one household, and I could see the daughter of uh, one of the residents that we serve standing in the hallway, and I could tell that her heart was troubled. And I walked up to her, and I asked her how things were going. And she said, well, they're not going very well at all. My mom has been on hospice for a long time. She's having a very hard time. And I said, uh, I am so sorry to hear that. Is there anything I could do? And she said, well, I don't know. I don't know what that would be. And I said, well, let's, let's step into her room for a second. And we walked into her room. And I said... Um, to this woman's daughter there are some scriptures in the Old Testament that, that have powerful meaning for me powerful meaning for me I said my Hebrew is not that good and so I have to rely on a couple of different English translations but one of those scriptures comes from Psalm 116 verse 15 and this is what it says in the King James Version, it says, Blessed in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I said, there's a more modern translation that says, Blessed in the sight of the Lord is the death of his servants. But my favorite is actually um, a paraphrase. It's called the message. And this is what the message says in Psalm 116, verse 15. When they arrive at the gates of death, God welcomes those who love him. And I turned and walked out of that room, and before I got to the end of the hall, 
that woman came out of the room and said, Steve, she heard your voice. She felt the freedom to go. And she just passed away. Um, we gathered the staff around and went back into that room. We gave thanks for the life of that woman and for the privilege of serving her and her family. And we celebrated the fact that when we arrive at the gates of death, God welcomes those who love him. I don't know what yesterday was like as a day of discipleship for you. If it was a great day, that's something that can be celebrated. If it was not a great day, if you weren't a good disciple yesterday, that doesn't matter. At this altar, at this time, we have the opportunity to give thanks and to change our destiny. We truly do. This day is the first day of discipleship. Yesterday's discipleship doesn't matter. Tomorrow's discipleship is not yet here. Today is that day. I want to close with, uh, with one more thought. Um, I was traveling on a plane, and I got on the plane, and I, I was actually flying from uh, one city to another with my brother, and I don't get to spend much time with him. I was really looking forward to fellowshipping with him. And so we sat in, a part, in, in, in an aisle where there was a seat in between us. And as the plane filled up, it became more and more apparent that all of the seats were going to be taken. And um, before the door shut on the plane, a, a man, a large man, a tall man, handsome with jet black hair, came down the aisle and he was so big that it would have been awkward to have him sit between my brother and I. And so I offered to move into the middle seat, and he took the aisle seat. And when he sat down, um, I could tell that he was distressed. And I asked him if everything was okay. And he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm really having a hard time. He said, uh, my mother just passed away. I just buried my mother. And in the wake of her death, a terrible dispute has broken out between me and my brother that leaves me feeling completely disenfranchised and I don't know what to do about it. So the plane takes off and we're flying from Boston to Chicago and I asked this guy some questions and I learned that uh, he was in the restaurant business. He had run restaurants with his parents and I said, well, what kind of restaurants were they? And he said, well, we're Greek and um, so we, we, we had the best Greek restaurants in Chicago and in, uh, in Phoenix. I said, really, you're Greek? He said, yes. I said, do you speak Greek? He said, yes, I speak Greek. I said, wow, that is phenomenal. He said, why, why do you say that? And I said, well, there's some Greek words that I'd like to talk to you about. And he said, okay. I said, you, I don't know if you've ever heard these words, but, but I'm just curious as to what this would mean to you. I said, um, have you ever heard the word 
paraclete. And he said, paraclete? No, I haven't. Paraclete. I, I don't think I've heard that word. I said, um, what about the word metanoia? Metanoia. He said, no. Is that a Greek word? I said, yes, it's a Greek word. He said, I said, uh, how about, does the word dunamis mean anything to you? And he said, dunamis? No, I don't, what does that mean? And I said, okay, one more. What about the word anastasis? Does the word anastasis mean anything to you? And he said, no, where do these words come from? And I said, well, they're ancient Greek words. Uh, they're from the second century. And he said, tell me, tell me what they mean. What do they mean? And I said, well, paraclete is, the, is a word that has several dimensions of meaning. It, it means helper. It means comforter. It means encourager. I said, metanoia is actually a compound word. It means change your mind. It's actually a military word that means about face. It's to turn around. I said, dunamis is a word for power. It's not like electrical power or even atomic power. This is the power of God that's made available to those who believe in Christ. And I said, anastasis is the word for resurrection. And I said, I don't know what struggle you're facing, but I want you to know this. There's a paraclete that's available to help you. And he offers you dunamis power if you will be willing to change your heart and your mind in repentance and when you do that what you gain is the hope of anastasis the resurrection now here's the point for today there are people who you're going to sit next to tomorrow, who speak Greek, but they don't know what paraclete is. They don't know the paraclete. There are people who you're going to sit across from who speak Greek, but they have no idea what it means to repent. They have no idea what it means to experience the power that we're talking about here. And they do not have the hope of anastasis. So the invitation for you today is very simple. It's to be mindful of this new day. It's to ask the question, brothers and sisters, what should we do? And it's to open your hearts like they did on the day of Pentecost and trust that when we make ourselves available, we'll be able to say to people like they did on the day of Pentecost, this is that.
Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that every day is a brand new day, that you give us a new opportunity with new hope and new promise. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, uh, you'd help us by breaking our hearts with a, with a new slight sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and to the work that you want to do in us. Thank you that uh, in the week ahead, uh, new classrooms will be formed, new friendships will be born, uh, a new day dawns. And I pray that you'd make every student and every teacher mindful of that, Lord. Give us a sensitivity uh, to how we can be faithful on the first day of discipleship tomorrow. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.